Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Today on the Peristyle Podcast, we're talking with the coach, Harvey Hyde. We've got a special guest coming on later on in the show, Shotgun Spratling, talking about the USC basketball team, which plays tonight uh, in Dayton, Ohio, uh, in the first four of the NCAA tournament. So we're going to talk some football. We're going to talk some basketball. Um, sorry for the delay on putting the show out on Wednesday instead of Monday. I just got back last night from beautiful Cabo San Lucas. So a little spring break early for me. And it was fun. There was a ton of USC students on my flight to and from Cabo because USC is on spring break this week and there is no spring football practice. But we're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde right now. We're going to talk with Shotgun Spratling a little bit later. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com or you can leave a voicemail by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646 or just go to our website, peristylepodcast.com click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer or mobile device remember if you want to be on the show with coach harvey hyde call us and tell us why you would be a great guest on the peristyle podcast we got a couple good entries uh we'll probably do it sometime later in spring football or after spring football so plenty of time to call in and uh, let us know why you'd like to be on the air with us all right let's jump right in and talk to the coach harvey hyde Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. What is up, Coach? How you doing? Well, buddy, I'm glad you're on spring break. I like to see yeah. it regenerate and get ready for everything. Of course, the football season is not far away. I made sure I went down to practice on Saturday to represent you. Everyone missed you, and I'm glad you had a safe trip and you enjoyed yourself. And you're back home, ready to do our podcast. I am back home and I'm ready. And uh, you know, there's no spring football this week because it's spring break. But I left on Friday, so I did miss uh, a spring practice, which was on Saturday. But, you know, Coach and I communicate. We make sure, hey, I can't be there. Coach, can you be there? He's like, I'm there. Put me in. And uh, so we did. So uh, we're going to talk to you about that. Wanted to thank our sponsor before we jump into that, though, first, Coach. Uh, Southern California Tickets. They've been our sponsor for years and years and years. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can give them a call at one 800 888 Seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for any kind of sporting event at, in LA or across the country, uh, if you want to go to the theater, uh, musicals, anything like that, you can go to sctickets.com and they will help hook you up. Coach and I have both done it multiple times and they treat us very well. Um, so definitely check them out, sctickets.com. And, uh, coach, yeah, I, I wasn't there on Saturday. Uh, it was the first padded practice of spring football. So I kind of wanted to get your assessment. What, what I missed? What was going on down there? Well, I tell you, uh, you didn't miss much. Uh, it was exciting to be out there on the field again and to see the enthusiasm of the players and the people that were there, the media, even the media is enthusiastic because they've sort of missed football too. And the parents had showed up in a whole bunch of recruits. I don't believe I've seen a practice with that many recruits on campus, at least in one practice, maybe in the Pete Carroll era. There were that many, but there are all kinds. I would guess, I'm guessing, 50 to 75, uh, I don't count them. Probably Dan Weber counts them because he's on top of everything. 
but uh, a lot of great recruits there, a lot of enthusiasm among the recruits. And the reason why I say uh, what I'm saying is, again, we're in the playpen area, ladies and gentlemen. All our media get together. All we need to do is bring sandwiches, sit down and enjoy it, and get together again. We haven't seen each other because we don't see much of the practice. And uh, this week, uh, past Saturday, lined all the recruits up, too, which they should as far as being able to watch practice, but they lined them up in front of us, <laughs> so we couldn't see practice either. And, and, Ryan, I really feel bad, too, for the parents. A lot of these parents drive all the way from who knows where, Bakersfield, Fresno, Rancho Mirage, Palm Springs, L.A., and they really don't have a chance to see a lot of the practice. I call that they put them in the uh, sandbox, and they put us in the playpen, and we all have a good time as far as talking and enjoying each other. Once in a while, they'll bring a drill on the main field, and uh, we'll be able to watch practice. But uh, we did get a chance to see some and uh, size up some of the new players and talk to each other, and uh, we'll get into that here in a moment. I'm sorry I had to give you a description of what's going on, but I'm used to doing radio. <laughs> and when you do radio, you have to describe what you're seeing so the listener can understand what you're talking about. And I'm trying to describe the scene before we get started. Yeah, um, the scene is definitely, and it's, I, you know, the first couple of practices, Coach, um, I was taking some pictures. We had uh, our guy, you know, Gerard was there taking pictures. We had a, a different photographer, our, our buddy Michael. And literally, we were just counting, and there was just no drills done in the area in front of us. So it was very difficult to kind of watch what's going on. And people start asking about, Hey, how does this, uh, backup offensive lineman look? I'm like, yeah, good luck. I mean, I just, you can't really see, um, you try, you try to watch whatever you can. Um, they tend to do the, uh, the 11 on 11 stuff over on the, uh, Brian Kennedy field on the far side. And it's like at the time of day, we were looking directly into the sun, on Tuesday and Thursday. So you're like, everyone's got their hands over there, you know, trying to block the sun just to kind of see who's doing what. Um, so yeah, it's not the easiest environment to watch football, um, and find, you know, give you the guys the most information, but you know, you got to go out there, coach. There was, they, at least they put pads on anyone, maybe some of the new players that stood out or anyone that, you know, looked a little different to you. What, what were your thoughts on what you checked out there? Well, you know what I was able to see and uh, watch, and I'll get into that as far as the enthusiasm and the practice and so on, as far as I evaluated it, I, I noticed that the snapper, Johnson from Glendora and Citrus College, I watched him closely, but they do a lot of the kicking game in front of us, and I was watching the snapping, which they do a lot during the regular practice, so I have a lot of chance to see that. I, I like the way he snapped. I think he'll be able to do it. The only thing he's not doing it with pressure on him, and what I mean by that. Uh, the live drill. They're just working on now block, blocking responsibility and laying coverages and so on and snapping the football and punting the ball down the field or shooting it down the field with one of the machines. I watched also the return guys, which you, which is going to be a big thing this year as far as someone, re, uh, replacing a Dory Jackson. And, uh, I like Jones, this kid from Alabama. I'll tell you, I watched him and if you remember, I liked him when they recruited him. I said, he had burst type of speed, and he does have that type of speed. Now uh, he registered this last year, so he's going to have to get a lot of experience. But it's a sort of a, a tricky thing to catch the ball in the sun, catch the ball in the wind, and all the different stadiums. There, It's different. 
but I think he has the potential to be that type of guy to hit the seam or find that little seam to do that. Uh, saw other guys uh, back there uh, uh, t- trying to work on uh, that that uh, technique, but I thought Jones was the one currently right now uh, that stood out. They didn't work on kickoff returns at all or kickoff coverages, but uh, that's one part of it I was able to see. So I, I like those two drills. As far as other drills, uh, Burnett, of course, is back there too, too Dante. And, you know, I, I think he's a great player. Again, I don't like seeing uh, players play and do too many things. You've always heard me say that about a Doy Jackson. You know, you want to keep their energies where they need to be so they can really produce on the area where their expertise is. And, you know, Dante did a great Rose Bowl game, and he wasn't returning punts. He wasn't returning kickoffs. And, and, and I think that I'd like to see him come back with that same energy level. Watch the tight ends closely. See how they were utilizing them. Uh, right now, it's so-so. It was hard to really determine anything, but you've always heard me talk about the importance of the tight end, on how they utilize your tight end or their tight end in passing games, blocking schemes, and so on. Blocking, very little blocking I can watch, but as far as the passing schemes, I'm trying to evaluate their their hands, their size, and their speed. So I'm just getting into that now. So, you know, I don't want to go through every position, but the other young player that I watched was a little bit of that young linebacker from Utah. He was a quarterback in high school. He's stocky. He's bigger than what I thought he is. He looks more mature. He doesn't look like a freshman. I can't pronounce his name. Maybe you can. Why don't you tell that for the people, the uh, inside linebacker? Oh, uh, Taylor Katoa? Yep, that's okay. him. I liked him. I watched him. I saw him up real close, and uh, that was uh, good. And I had a chance to eyeball and stand by the gate. I actually stayed the entire practice and for the press conference, too. Eyeball him, the, the Malone or... Uh, the kid that uh, was a late uh, decommit from Washington that came in, good-sized kid, uh, looks like he's ready to play. I don't know what he looked like as far as in the individual drills because I didn't have a chance to see the individual drills. But eyeballing what I saw the most, that's what I saw the most of as far as in practice. And uh, that's where we are. All right, Coach. Good stuff there. Well, let's jump into these questions. We got questions from the fans, and uh, we'll get, we'll let you go on your way. He said, uh, first is up, let's see. He says, hello, Ryan, Coach Harvey Hyde. Welcome back from Cabo. Ryan, here's to another, uh, excuse me, another awesome edition of the Peristyle Podcast. You're the best in the business. Thank you very much for that. Um, let's see. He said, in the off chance that no one has asked about John Plattenberg, here are my questions. So John Plattenberg is the safety that, um, Clay Helton announced on Thursday. And actually, Gerard Martinez broke on our site, uh, before that, that, um, He's, uh, you know, had a concussion in the Rose Bowl and he's going to retire from football. Uh, his questions are, who will fill in his spot at safety and special teams? And do you think, uh, USC will, USC would use his scholarship? Any chance that he sues SC for his concussions? Wow. I don't think that was going to happen. Uh, recall that Stefan Johnson sued after he graduated for ne- negligence following a weight room injury in 2009 and SC ended up settling the suit. A Trojan family wishes uh, Plattenberg the best. It was fun to steal him from the other school because he was originally committed to UCLA. Uh, thanks for all you do. Keep up your followers informed and hope all is well. Fight on. And I, I didn't write down the person's name. I'm sorry about that. So whoever the question was from, 
Um, thanks for sending that in. Well, I, I tell you, I, I think John Plattenberg had a great career. I can't blame him from what he's, uh, as far as retiring from football. Obviously, uh, he, it's been recommended to him, and he feels as though it's something he should do as far as having a long, healthy life. Uh, as far as replacing John, uh, you probably won't be able to replace his experience currently right now, but you'll be able to replace his talent level. I think the safety position is, is loaded, and you haven't even got the, the two safeties that are coming in who are two of the best in the country, uh, one for Bishop Gorman and the other one from uh, Arizona. I think they're both going to be great players. You've got Jamal Cook coming off of uh, a redshirt year. He's a great player. You've got Davis. You've got Tell. You've got people who can play. Ukele Ross. I mean, the, the, the player and athletic ability is there. So you don't want a kid to play if he's hesitant. You don't want a kid to play if he's worried about uh, concussions or worried about uh, getting hurt. You want guys playing that are healthy and ready to play and aren't holding back. And if it's John's feeling it's best for him to step down at this time, he's had a great career. He played in the Rose Bowl. He's going to get a USC degree. Uh, I congratulate him and say thank you for your services. But you want people playing on the field that aren't hesitant. You want people that can give you the 100%. And fortunately, with the numbers back up for USC, they have the talent level to replace that position, not experience-wise, but athletic ability-wise. So someone will step up, someone will learn, someone will step in there, and then, you know, it's an old cliche that everybody says, next man up. But the next man up for USC is talented. So it's not like next man up, oh my gosh. It's next man up, let's get it done. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, it's funny, you know, you can tell by what what the coach's patterns are as far as putting players in the game where Jotten Plattenberg fell. Uh, I think he was someone from Steve Sarkeesian's staff. They like to use him a lot. Um, when Clay Helton took over, Clancy Pendergast, you didn't see him a whole lot. I mean, he was just kind of a, a guy that disappeared. So I don't think it's a huge loss. I mean, there was more special teams contributions than anything. Um, he just wasn't getting in that kind of rotation and getting the kind of turns. And uh, so there, whatever reasons, coaches have their reasons for playing or not playing a player. He was someone that was contributing a lot uh, when Clay Hill took over Clancy Pendergast that he wasn't playing at all. So I don't think it's a really big loss, and I don't see any sort of uh, lawsuit or anything coming from him. Uh, he's one of the nicest dudes around. Um, not that you can be nice and not do a lawsuit, but I just I don't see – it didn't seem like there was any kind of um, you know adversarial parting uh, between USC and John Plattberg. He's going to stick around and get his degree. Uh, so he won't count as a scholarship uh, going forward, uh, but he's still going to be on scholarship getting his degree because he's medically retired. So uh, good stuff from, um, from Joe. Yeah. You, you wish him all the best. He's a great guy. And, uh, you know, good to see him, um, you know, doing what's best for him. So thanks for that question. And then also, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, I, I don't want to neglect, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, but, I don't want to neglect the second part of his question was, do you think he'll sue the university or any of that? I don't think so at all. I think that he has the option of, uh, when it comes to safety, it was his decision to step down. Uh, concussions are something that are part of the game. It happens. It isn't like someone was negligent or something as far as 
and what happened. Uh, I think he's had a great experience, and he wants to always be a Trojan, and he doesn't want to leave on any type of negative note. So I think he's a, he'll be a Trojan forever, and people want to thank him for everything he did, and he'll be on the sidelines uh, representing the Trojans for years. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Um, let's move on. We got Tarek has a question. He says, what was your takeaway of where USC needs to improve the most based on your observation of practice? Well, you know, there wasn't any real scrimmage going on. I, you know, and, and, and I don't want to be uh, negative because I was only there two hours. Uh, it was a two-hour practice and the first day in pads, so you got to get used to the pads. We never hit a lot the first day in pads because we wanted to become used to carrying the pads and make sure everything fit properly, the helmets, the shoulder pads, everything. Now with the new rule change, uh, I'm interested to see uh, as far as the pants of the football players, if they're going to be sh- lengthened again from Bermuda shorts down to where their knees are being covered. I observed that in practice, and they were still the old pants were up high, and the knee pads not covering the knees. So we'll see what happens with that as far as uniform dress here coming up in, in uh, contact drills. Uh, so I wasn't able to really see what the real needs are, but I, but I really think that one thing I noticed is I don't want your team to become or USC complacent, like we're good now. We're good. We're respected. We won the Rose Bowl game. All right, you did do that. Uh, whenever or when we went to a bowl game, when we came back, I probably worked the team harder the first two or three practices and maybe was more of a bad guy than easy because I wanted to get their minds back into the game as far as what it took to win. Not too much of dilly-dollying around, uh, making sure that people ran from drill to drill, making sure coaches were on top top of the techniques, and when a mistake was made, I wanted it corrected. And I would make that a notice, that everyone was on alert. It was alert time. It wasn't a rest time. Let's just run around and let the crowd watch us. We are something special. No, I would be probably harder now than what I might be later on. Remember, it's always easy to be hard early and get easier. But if you're easy at the beginning, it's harder to get to be a bad guy and push them. They're now in this routine that they're used to being in. I want them in a routine but when they hit the field and come through that gate, they got their helmet on, they're ready to go, and they run the drill to drill and not be having too much fun. I want them to have fun, but I want them to accomplish what we need to do on the football field. And I thought it was a little loose, Ryan, just a little loose. I know they're, uh, they were ranked high, and they're going to be ranked high next year, and I think you got to sort of tighten the shoelaces, okay? Wear the helmet a little bit tighter. Be ready to take a blow and be more a little bit alert uh, than what I saw as far as for the first day in pads. I think good observations, Coach. I mean, that's it's it's going to be more general, the stuff you can kind of see like that. So um, it's just real hard to see specific stuff. But, yeah, you get an overall feel. And, you know, USC practiced three times, um, only one day in pads. They got a week off. So we'll get, you know, into the thick of it. You know, the next, you know, starting next week and for the next four weeks after that, it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, how the team progresses. But to get a, 
a sense right now. It's so early. Um, it's just, you know, week one of spring football. Uh, there's not a lot you can take from it, but what, you know, you do what you can. Paul in Las Vegas had a question. He said, I'm a big believer in the importance of defensive line play. So recruiting and coaching are vital in development of a great line. The question is, what's your opinion of BKU? So he's talking about Kenichu Daisy, the defensive line coach. Since he's new to coaching, is the verdict coming in on his first, is the verdict coming in on his first year as defensive line coach? So I guess he just wants to know what you think. Uh, Paul in Vegas, coach, about uh, Kenichu Daisy. Well, Paul, uh, the only ob- uh, observation I can see, we don't see much practice, okay? Is the the defensive line last year, which wasn't supposed to be that experienced, and of course with Stevie T coming in, he was a coach on the field, played well. Uh, they didn't have a lot to rotate, but they got after people, and uh, they performed. Now, once they learn how to contain, which is part of the linebackers too, uh, get to the passer, make your tackles, settle up. Don't miss tackles, uh, penetrate, play on their side of the line of scrimmage. You saw the defense really stiffen up and become a good defense. You really did. Earlier in the year, I had my question marks as far as containing the quarterback. The quarterback would get outside of the pocket, and there were many breakdowns. And Later, Porter Justin did better and others as far as containing that guy and doing a power rush or dipping the shoulder and forcing the quarterback back up to the defensive lineman. So they progressed. They got better as the season went along. Now, this, of course, is the second year. I thought he did very well as far as in the recruiting side of it. They've got some great defensive recruits this year in the defensive line. So whatever his part was in doing that, and obviously a player has to like the defensive line coach you're going to play for because he has to make a visit and they have to, you know, they talk to other defensive players that are there. And what was your experience like with the defensive line coach? And I just think, I just think he'll get better and better every year because that was his rookie year. That was his rookie year, and you learn as a rookie what you what was good and what was bad, what worked and what I'll never do again. So you learn through experience. We all do, no matter what your job is. You learn through experience, and you say, I can do this again, and I can't do that again. And I think he should become a better line coach because of this, as far as how you treat people, how you motivate people, how you learn that there's different sides of people, how you get players to play for you, uh, they like you, uh, but they've got to respect you, all the different things that you have to do to be a great football coach. So I don't see any reason why he shouldn't continue to become a good coach. Yeah, coach, and he's got a pretty good reputation as a recruiter so far. Um, his, from everything we've been told, his story about, uh, being a cancer survivor and being in the NFL, something that resonates with defensive linemen. And you saw the defensive line class that USC brought in. So, uh, I think the, you know, certainly only one year in, um, but seems like a positive, uh, review so far for Kenichu Daisy. Um, Oscar had a question, coach. He said, Hey guys, first off, I'd like to thank you for all the hard work you put in. Uh, day in and day out to give us the best uh, up-to-date information on from USC football. My question is, nothing would make Coach Helton happier than to add a Heisman-winning quarterback to his resume. Uh, but does that affect his game plan or overall philosophies on offense just to add numbers to Darnold's stats? And also, who's got the most pressure uh, to at least uh, get an invite to New York, uh, Sam or Clay Helton? 
Thanks again. Love the podcast. Oscar from Monrovia. Well, Oscar, first of all, uh, if you're an experienced coach, the W is more important than any stat. If you've ever listened to me on this or my other shows, I always talk about don't give me the stats. Give me the two stats. is a W column and a L column, okay? Whatever it takes to get the W is what we want. Uh, we're a team, and stars come from uh, individual awards, come from team success and playing as a team. When you're a younger coach, and, and, and let me sort of say in the past at USC, you've had some some coaches that have been in their 30s, and stats were so important to them that I think it sort of threw off the balance of the offensive side of the football. Uh, and I think that you've got to, if you, as you saw Sam Donald throwing the ball to everyone last year, you became a better pass offense, and it opened up the running game at the same time. So I think that what happens, you continue on what you're doing. Why change? I mean, if Sam Darnold is going to be a Heisman Trophy winner, he's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner. But you don't sacrifice your team to have that. Yes, you'd love to have a Heisman Trophy winner. Yes, I loved having Randall Cunningham and going into college football Hall of Fame and being drafted and all of this and that. But my football team came first, and your football team came first. The overall success of that football team and the responsibility I have to all those players come first. You're just one player on the team. And if you're treated like that, that player gets more respect from his teammates too because they'll play harder to make sure he's successful because he's treated the same. If you treat people or individuals differently, now, of course, you're not going to hit the quarterback in practice or any stupid thing like that, but you know your success is surrounding him. You don't have to tell players who's good or who's bad. They know. They know their success depends a lot on Sam. But again, you can't show favoritism as a coach. You've got to say every single person on that football team, whether you're on the first depth chart or the last depth chart, you have a responsibility out here and you are important to us. From the trainer to the managers to anyone, you're all part of the puzzle here. So yes, we'd all like to see Sam Darnold uh, win a Heisman Trophy, or SC win another Heisman Trophy, but not at the expense of the left-hand column. I agree with you. I I, I would think uh, in the question, nothing would make Clay Helton happier. I think he said, um, well, I think winning a national championship would make him a lot happier. Uh, probably even winning the Pac-12 championship. But, um, yeah, certainly it's something important that's a feather in his cap. Um, but I think the team success is more important, uh, like you said, Coach. All right, we got one last one from Reggie in Seattle, who who actually wrote this morning was worried that we hadn't done a podcast for a week. Um, yeah, Reggie, thanks for the concern, but you know, just on vacation. So this is more about, um, and we thought you'd get your thoughts on this. It's not really a USC football thing; it's a Pac-12 thing. So he's, and it's about Lynn Swan. He said, "When I see Larry Scott had his contract extended until 2022, I have doubts that Lynn Swan has the influence to propel USC to the position of power in the Pac-12 that it deserves." Either that or his media experience uh, has been greatly exaggerated. Uh, that's from Steve uh, in Beaumont. And then, I'm sorry, Reggie wrote uh, along the same lines. Um, so Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott's contract was extended through 2022. Uh, who makes that decision? Is there a vote of all college presidents? Secondly, why is he extended if so many Pac-12 schools are unhappy with his performance and his contract in line with other league commissioners are earning? 
um, is his contract in line with other commissioners? It's actually more than the other commissioners. He gets paid. He's the highest paid one. Um, finally, now that it's extent, now that it's been extended, what can the Pac-12 schools do to support him? Sure, we continue to show our disappointment over the Pac-12 TV contract, but my question is, how about bringing um, some solutions to the table as opposed to complaining about the Pac-12 TV deal? Uh, what are your solutions? And yes, uh, I know you're not the Pac-12 commissioner. Isn't your job to find solutions? But it'd be nice to hear a few from time to time. So, uh, with overall, Coach, you know Reggie and Steve, what are your thoughts on Larry Scott getting that extension until 2022? Well, when I saw it come across the screen, I said, "Oh my God, uh, I'm not for it." I mean, uh, that's my opinion. You've heard me talk about it all the time. I think he's a smoke screen. I think everybody else runs the Pac-12. He's sort of a figurehead out there, does a good job of doing that. Uh, he's not a hands-on guy. He's not a guy that's touchable. He's not a guy that returns phone calls. He's not a guy that comes and speaks at uh, quarterback clubs or visits. Uh, I haven't seen him at many practices. How many practices have you seen him at at, at USC in any sport, Ryan? Uh, I don't know if I've seen him at any, to be honest. Okay, that just gives you an example of that. He flies around in probably his private plane, uh, goes to uh, all these other areas, to, to tennis matches, to all these super clubs. I don't know what his Spence account is, but it's got to be pretty good. I think he's got a great job. But he's got other commissioners, past commissioners, and so on, doing the day-to-day operations, uh, the Pac-12 network. I don't think that ever... Uh, is going to mean much, uh, and tried to watch the Mountain West Conference, or not the Mountain West Conference, I saw the Mountain West Conference tournament, they got more television exposure than the Pac-12 did, it seems as though all of USC's final five or six games on television were all on the Pac-12 network, uh, which no one can see on the East Coast, the schedule of the games uh, uh, for the uh, Pac-12 basketball tournament, the championship game, semi-game, semi-champ, they're all at 8 o'clock. That's 11 o'clock Eastern time. Nobody's watching them. I think it's uh, poor planning and poor, poor administration. I think it's time that they get affiliated with somebody, Fox, or somebody that has networks throughout the country and the world where the Pac-12 can elevate itself to another level. I think they've got a great basketball conference, a great football conference and just look at overall the Pac-12 and its success in NCAA championships okay and you'll see they outnumber any and maybe the entire other conferences combined uh, as far as national championships so uh, I don't know I don't know how he continues to do this how he gets his contract extended I'm sure the athletic directors and presidents meet and uh they say, oh, well, why make a change? Everything's going well. And maybe, maybe I hate to say this, guys, maybe they just don't know. Or maybe he has BSed them to a point where they believe him. But it's not a difficult job. It's a job that requires people to be able to work hard and not be better than anybody else and be seen and be able to return phone calls and be at special uh, functions. Uh, I don't know. I, I've been to... Uh, uh, the kickoff luncheon for the Rose Bowl and the kickoff uh, uh, VIP tailgate for the last 20 years. Now, he may have been there, may have been there, but I've sat next to Jim Delaney and watched games. I've sat next to other conference commissioners and watched games. I've been to uh, uh, 
the playoffs, the national championship game in the Rose Bowl, and I don't know if I've seen him there. He, he may show up and go to his box, but he's untouchable. And when he comes to the press conference uh, for Pac-12 Media Day, he more or less is standoffish and uh, tells you all the great things he's done and the conference is doing, and then I don't know where he goes. He goes somewhere, and uh, they have a little video uh, explaining how great the Pac-12 is. And, of course, every year you have to look up to see where it's going to be. It's at one studio to another studio instead of making it convenient for the press and uh, making it comfortable for the press and half the locations that they have it. Ryan, you've been there. You can't even sit down and you can't even get in the door. So to me, uh, I don't know if he's ever been to one of these things before. He used to be a tennis guru, so hard to determine if he knows how to run something that he hadn't been a part of. That's the way I feel. And and I'm not afraid to tell you the way I feel. And for you that feel that same way, great. If you don't feel that same way, mine is just an opinion. Yeah, and, and um, you know, we talk about it on the podcast a lot with Dan Weber. Yeah, Larry Scott's the highest paid commissioner. Um, the Pac-12 network employs more people than the other networks. They put it in the most expensive, you know, city. <laughs> they put it in San Francisco instead of Los Angeles where there's uh, way more uh, on-air talent um, that would, you know, you could just do a lot more uh, cheaper. Um, so, yeah, I, it's the, the presidents are the ones that have to hold them accountable of the universities. We do feel that a lot of the athletic directors are not happy as the disparity of the money continues to get wider between what the other conferences are getting and what the Pac-12 schools are getting. The athletic directors who have those budgets are getting more and more upset. So the athletic directors have to put pressure on the presidents. Obviously, they haven't put a whole lot of pressure on it because at this point, they were just extended. Um, as far as offering solutions, we do that all the time. It's not just complaining. Um, they should The Pac-12 network should not be uh, in San Francisco. It should be Los Angeles the entertainment capital of the world where you have all this television talent. There shouldn't be seven networks. There should be one. Um, they should be on direct TV. Uh, they should have partnered with ESPN or Fox and not tried to go out on their own. And he keeps doubling down and doing that. So at some point you just have to go back on those decisions and say, Hey, we screwed up. Let's go back, partner with someone, redo all these deals. Um, so yes, there's solutions out there, but he's not, you know, that's not the way they're going with it. So, um, yeah, not happy with it. That the money is going to continue to get worse. The big, the Big Ten will have two more huge television contract negotiations before the Pac-12 network gets their next one. He just wanted to sign a billion dollar, or two billion dollar deal or whatever, um, and made it for such a long term that the first five years or so maybe it looks okay, but the the seven years after that are terrible. How do you get? You know, it's basically he got Coke and Pepsi to work together on his deal. Fox and ESPN combined to, they work together for the Pac-12 deal. They saw that it was so good for them that even, you know, bitter rivals would work together. So yes, I think we've offered solutions many times in the past. You point out all the flaws. You say, Hey, here's how you do it, how you fix it. But Larry Scott and the Pac-12 does not seem to be going in that direction at all. And in defense of Lynn Swan, he hasn't been at USC long enough to be able to form an opinion. Probably he's probably taking, uh, you know, just uh, observing, and I think in a year or two, he's been in media a lot. He's uh, been a broadcaster a lot. I think he'll figure it out. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But they gave him such a long contract that uh, who knows? They'll have to buy about. I don't know what they pay him somewhere three million a year or something for and an expense account and so on. I, I don't know what he does except get hair transplants. 
<laughs> Ouch, that's a tough one, Coach. Um, all right. Well, yeah. So that's that's our thoughts on on Larry not Scott. A, that's not a tough one. It's just a personal observation. <laughs> yeah, he's the highest paid one. I mean, so it's not like the the Pac-12 is like running fourth or fifth of the other power conferences, but they're paying their people like they're top, the top of the heap. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of inefficiencies and problems going on there that could that need to be addressed. All right. Well, coach, we're gonna have to. We'll let you go. We know you got stuff to do. Thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, buddy, thank you. And for all of you out there, thank you for listening. Remember, everything we say is just an opinion. And I near, I need a few hair transplants, too, here in the near future, too. So, Larry, tell me who the guy is that's doing yours, because I'm going to see him, too. <laughs> nice, Coach. All right. Well, thanks for the great stuff. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk with our buddy, Shotgun Spratling, about the USC basketball team. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, we're back on the Peristyle Podcast. We got our friend Shotgun Spratling here to talk about some USC basketball. We got a football question for him as well. Uh, Shotgun, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, uh, today we're taping this on Wednesday and a little bit, you know, a few hours, uh, later on tonight, USC will be in the first four. It's not the first round anymore, which I'd like. I don't like that they called the, those games the first, uh, the first round, but they call it the first four. Uh, USC had to fly to Dayton to play, uh, Providence and, uh, just wanted to kind of get your, your thoughts of how USC kind of finished the season, uh, the Pac 12 tournament and then now making it into the NCAA tournament. I mean, they they started off, uh, you know, great this season in the non-conference, uh, winning out in the non-conference, starting fourteen and zero, and you know, the, a lot of expectation and hopes. And you know, they, when they met some of the uh, tougher teams in the schedule, when you play Arizona, you play UCLA, you play Oregon, three top seven teams. When you play those teams that combined seven times, it's going to be tough to beat for anyone to beat them, unless you're also a top ten type of team. And and USC has shown that they're, you know, maybe they're a fringe top 25 team rather than a top 10 team and you know the fact that they were able to win one of those games kind of shows that that they have the ability to play with anyone but not the consistency necessarily to play with them struggled a little bit down the stretch didn't play great at at the Arizona at Arizona State of course uh, you know in the last five minutes gave that game away and didn't play great against Washington the last the Washington schools last week of the season but we're able to get those wins when they when they needed to the Washington wins and and the Washington win in the in the Pac-12 tournament and gave UCLA a really tough game in the Pac-12 tournament and had opportunities to win that one, um, but just couldn't make the shots when they needed to. So they ended up on the, on the bubble and, you know, finding their way into that first four matchup. So they'll have an, if they were to, to make a miraculous run to the final four, a la VCU, the last time that USC was in the first four, the team that beat USC, they, they ran from the first four to the final four. So if USC was to do that, they'll have one extra game than other teams. So, uh, you know they've got to come out hot and make some shots, which has been the uh, the key for them kind of all season. The uh, that Arizona State game, that utter collapse, or what, ten points in the last couple of minutes, or whatever it was. 
Do you think that loss probably made it so USC had to play in Dayton in the first four? If they win that game, they're comfortably in and they're not in the first four? Definitely. I mean, they're, they're at least a seed higher if they don't lose that game. I and mean, it's the only bad loss they have on the schedule. The rest of their losses, you know, either came to those top three teams in the Pac-12 or, you know, on the road at Utah and, and a one-point loss at home at Cal. And, you know, both those teams were, were you know, in the last couple of weeks were considered teams that couldn't, if they made a run, could be in the NCAA tournament. So because those teams were right there, you know, that Arizona State loss was just a big outlier and kind of pushed them down an extra seed, maybe even two seeds. Um, and, you know, I was there for that collapse and it, it was pretty ugly at times, you know, they turned the ball over that, you know, that there were unforced errors and, you know, just leaving guys open. And then you got to get credit, you know, a guy like Cody justice, uh, you, you know, the white dude on, on Arizona state that was just draining shots all day and, you know, that he got hot and, and that's what happens when you, you let the team get, get going early and, you know, or get going late like they did in that game. Uh, when a couple shots start falling and all of a sudden the pressure starts being on the, on the team that's expected to win and, and USC just did not handle it well. And, you know, that game, it was Benny Boatwright who didn't play really well. And I know a lot of people on our message boards have kind of been trashing on him a little bit. But you got to kind of remember, this guy's, you know, he played one season. He's basically still a freshman because he, you know, he's only played a couple games since coming off the injury. He hasn't been fully healthy until maybe a week or two ago. So, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of pressure has been put on him. And, and he's putting a little put, bit extra pressure on himself than maybe he needs to. And, Maybe we should just back up a little bit and say, realize that this guy is just a, you know, a, maybe a quarter away into his sophomore season as far as games played. So, uh, you know, the, the team kind of, kind of folded in that game, but they learned from that mistake. They, they nearly did the same thing against Washington, but they were able to finish it off. And, you know, if they can learn from the mistakes, then that's something that, that they can take into the tournament and, and be a little bit more prepared for. But, but, uh, you'd like to see them kind of finish strong in some of these games rather than, than slowing down towards the end. Frank in Sacramento wrote in, he said, come on, a 24-win USC team has got to go to a play-in game. Total disrespect to USC in the Pac-12. They should have had six teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, You might want to mention that Cal and Utah both lost in the NIT in the first round yesterday, but I digress. I bet two of the three Pac-12 teams going to the NIT will end up in the Final Four. Sorry, Frank, (laughs) that didn't didn't happen. Get your thoughts on that, Chuck. <laughs> well, well, you should point out also that Cal was without Jabari Bird, you know, their best shooter on the wing, and also Ivan Rab, who was, uh, who sat out with an injured foot, which is usually, uh, you know, what happens when an NBA draft pick is going into the NIT. Doesn't need to, need to play in those games. So, uh, yeah, they got down really far, um, in that game to Bakersfield. I think they were down 44 to 19 or 16 at the, at the end of the first half and fought their way back and had a chance late in the game, but, but could not come all the way back. They were a solid team. They're, they're a team that plays a lot of defense, but didn't really have the offensive weapons that they had before. You know, uh, Jonah Matthews, USC's freshman shooting guard, his older brother left Cal and was a graduate transfer to went to Gonzaga and has been a key for that team, you know, playing so well this year. You know, he was a big part of, of their success on the wings outside. And, you know, they lost, uh, of course, you know, the, the first round draft pick last year. So, you know, they had, some, they lost some, some key guys there that, that they weren't able to replace. Utah was a team I kind of expected a little bit more out of, and maybe if they had the the two transfers they got at the, the middle of the season, if they had them early in the season, then then maybe their season's a little bit different. Um, you know, the Pac-12 as a whole, you know, they really struggled in the pack, in the non-conference. You know, they lost some games that maybe they shouldn't have, and and part of that maybe that is due to injuries. I mean, Dylan Brooks is injured early in the season. Oregon loses a couple games. 
Utah has a couple, doesn't have the transfers, has a couple injuries. They lose a couple games. You know, the, some of the teams that lost early in the season, there were some injuries that, that played into that. And I don't think the NCAA uh, tournament uh, selection committee really factored in that. I mean, the fact that USC played 16, 17, 18 games without Benny Boatwright, and, and if you ask Andy Enfield, he'll bring it up almost every time uh, that, that he was out that that long and their leading score, and yet they were still able to to find a way to win and. You know, maybe that might have something to do with why USC struggled a little bit since he's come back is, is finding the, the exact roles everybody should have now that he's back and, and back being the guy that takes uh, the majority of the shots um, when it's time for crunch time and stuff, which is, you know, something the ball was moving a little bit better before he got back. So, you know, I, I think when you have the injuries and now Oregon gets, a, you know, the big injury to Chris Boucher, uh, you know, their shot blocker slash three-point shooter on the outside, you know, there's a lot of injuries that, that maybe the NCAA didn't take into account for that, but it seems like they did penalize Oregon a little bit for that. They haven't getting a three seed. Uh, I don't think that, that Cal and Utah should have gotten into the NCAA tournament just because they didn't win enough games, but I do find it a little bit ridiculous that 24 wins get you a, a play-in game uh, in Dayton for USC. Yeah, um, I, you know, the fact that they were the second to last team to make it in seemed a little harsh, but... Uh... You know, and they got some, you know, that, what is it? The SMU win? Is that one of the best ones, you know, besides UCLA? Like that, you know. Yeah, you beat SMU. And of course, I, I guess it plays in the SMU kind of didn't get valued very highly by the committee either. They were a sixth seed, which why in the world is USC of any of the brackets, they can put the 11 seed mat play in game. Why do they have to play the team that they played in the NCAA tournament last year? First off, they had to play Providence. But then, if they win that game, then they have to play SMU, who they already beat this season. Why? Why can't they, you know, mix up the bracket a little bit, get some diversity? I, you know, I know it's hard for the committee to to look at every single team and their schedule and who they play, but but still, you you think that USC wouldn't have to play two teams that's played in the last year or back to back? The uh, so the the playing game is against uh, Providence. Um, there's a little history there. Maybe you kind of give people some background of what's going on with USC and the. Uh, the uh, first four matchup tonight against uh, Providence and Dayton. So as I said, when USC you know first got seated, you know it's it's kind of this game is an opportunity to avenge their last two NCAA tournament appearances. Uh, in 2011, they were in the first four game. Uh, they played VCU, and like I said, VCU won that game. Then went to the Final Four. So USC plays again in the final in the first four um, round. But they also are playing Providence, who's the team they lost to last year on a buzzer beater. USC led the game. Pretty much throughout the entire entirety, and then late in the game, you know they couldn't close out, didn't hit the free throws that they needed to, uh, and then you know there was a miscommunication and, and kind of uh, two players trying to do a little too much on the defensive end, uh, trying to to guard Chris Dunn, who was a top five pick. You know Elijah Stewart said that you know I expected him to be the one to shoot it, and he kind of left the basket open, and you know Providence gets a lay in with I think two seconds left, and and that ended up being the winning basket. And, USC gets on one shining moment because of a buzzer beater they give up. Also a Julian Jacobs dunk, but you know, they, they got into the final montage, not, not the way you wanted to necessarily. Um, so they'll have an opportunity to play against that Friars team again. Much different teams, both of the teams. I mean, USC returns three of their five starters. Providence returns two of their five starters and Providence loses Chris Dunn, who was one of the, the best players in the Big East in the, in the past five years. I think it was the fourth or fifth overall pick by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, they also lose Ben Bentel, who I think shot shot 21 shots last year for for Providence. You know he was a a kind of a, a tweener big who could shoot outside and 
you know, really excelled. And, you know, those two guys together played really well together. He was a draft pick as well. Both those guys are gone, though. You know, uh, this Providence team relies on, on Kyron Cartwright, who is a, a point guard out of Compton, ironically. Um, you know, he, he's taken over full time at the point guard duties from Dunn. And, you know, he's leading the Big East in assists. He's a guy that's, you know, can, can, uh, that likes to push the tempo. And they have four guys beside him. He's only five foot 11. Their four, their four other starters are all six, seven or six, eight. So it's an undersized team. You know, they have some bigger wings, but you know, how much does that help you? You know, maybe getting a shot off over a six, four guy, maybe a little bit, but you know, their, their bread and butter is Cartwright. And then Rodney Bullock, the guy who made the game winning shot last year is their, their biggest guy at six foot eight. And, and he's like, he likes to bully, bully people in the paint. And that's going to be the key. Can USC, can re, can they rebound? Can they take advantage of their height? And, and can they keep, uh, Bullock from kind of bullying, uh, Chemezi Metu and, and Benny Boatwright down low and getting them into some foul trouble? Um, if, if they can play them straight up and maybe block a couple of his shots, keep them from coming inside too much, you know, I think that they've got a great chance in this game. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, and then, Beyond that, say if USC is able to win, like you said, a couple of years ago, VCU made that run to the Final Four. There's some precedent for teams that win the, you know, not the 16 seeds, but the the 11 seeds. If they win that first four, um, usually they go on and win, you know, a game or two more. And like you said, VCU made a huge run. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the rest of the bracket look like for USC if they're able to get that win over Providence? I mean, if you, if you beat Providence and, and, you know, USC has an opportunity to do that, then you play SMU, a team that <laughs> USC has beat already. And, you know, uh, obviously Andy Enfield told me, uh, earlier, he's, uh, I said, it's kind of weird, you know, having, you know, playing, potentially playing two teams you've already faced in the last year, right? And he's like, it, it, it's weird. I've got folders already. Uh, we've already got files that, you know, have, uh, game folders of, uh, you know, what to look for. So the, the coaches already have a, a, a bit of a scout on on both of those teams already, and you know they'll go from there. The SMU team is a lot different though than when USC played them, as far as you know how they finished the season. I believe they were maybe three and two after you they lost to USC, and I think they lost twice the rest of the season. I mean they they were really good. They finished really strong. They won the uh, the AAC conference tournament and were the number one seed there over Cincinnati. Cincinnati was a really good team as well. I, I don't understand why they kind of got the six seed. I thought saw them more as a four, uh, maybe maybe even up as far high as a three. You know, I really like that team. Um, they've got a, a Duke transfer. I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, um, who was who really good and, and can kind of create his own shot whenever he wants to. You know, if USC beats them and, and you expect the, the higher seeds to kind of win out, the team they would play after that is Baylor, which is a team very similar to USC that wants to kind of uh, use its length to create turnovers, wants to run a gun a little bit. And, uh, you know, Baylor hasn't been playing great, you know, down the stretch. So, you know, that's another team. If USC shoots well, I think they can play with any team and could potentially make it through, um, to the Sweet 16, maybe even, uh, you know, make a, make a, uh, a long run. But it, again, it all depends on their shooting, which has been so streaky this season. And, you know, a, a lot of that depends on, on a guy like Elijah Stewart and Shaquan Aaron, their wings that, that have been off and on all season. Elijah Stewart had disappeared for, you know, uh, a little bit over a month. He hadn't had more than 15 points since uh, mid-January. He scored 17 against UCLA, made 6 of 10. First time he made three three uh, three pointers since the the last time USC had played UCLA in January. So, you know, if, if he can get going, he can stay hot and you know carry over the game against UCLA. Then 
you know, that's a big boost for them. They get another wing guy, maybe Jonah Matthews, the freshman. Maybe he plays well, and, and uh, you know, all of a sudden the team is making some shots, and, and it's a completely different team than, than when they're struggling to, to hit outside. Um, so I could easily see them make a make win a couple games and make a run if they can if they can do that simple thing, just a simple thing of making some shots. Okay, that's uh, basketball. We'll see what kind of goes on um, from there. Against tonight, they play in Dayton. Uh, what's I think it's like six ten or something p.m. on True TV. Shotgun, is that right? A- approximately six ten p.m. because you know you have a game earlier than them, so uh, that game will come on. You know, 20, 30, 40 minutes after the, the other game, but approximately 610 on True TV. Check your, your, uh, local guide to find the True TV button. Yeah. I know they see a lot of Twitter people talking like, I can't find True TV. Um, <laughs> but I think you get a lot more people watch that than the Pac 12 network. So, uh, um, very true. Yeah. I usually don't have True TV on my favorites list on my, uh, on my files, but then you have to add it during March because then, because there's games on there. Yeah, Thursday Thursday will be really fun, especially, you know, True TV will have have some games then. You know, it's one of my favorite days of the year, the Thursday and Friday of, of the opening rounds. Uh it's just so much fun getting to watch basketball all day. Yeah, it is pretty good. And we have one last uh question from you. Um Art in the in the from the Bay Area wrote and he was like he he loves when shotgun comes on. He had a specific question for you, so he wrote in and I told him like, All right, we'll get him on. Um, he said recently at the combine, there were some questions about the strength of some of USC's players. My question is in that area. Uh, why does it seem that some players have not put on the needed weight to be effective? It seems that the center Toa Lobendon has been around 280 to 285 pounds for a few years. A player's might, a player might be good at that weight. Uh, but when we play the program, like, uh, like programs like Alabama or Clemson, uh, for the college football playoffs, that will not get it done. If you watch the game against Alabama, I remember our center uh, was being uh, pushed out uh, till, I don't know what he's saying here, but being put on his butt. Okay, put on his butt deep in the backfield. Uh, thanks, Art, from the Bay Area. And I think this probably stems from USC players, especially the offensive linemen, not doing very well in the bench press at the combine. Yeah, the weight is not so much an issue uh, as much as the strength. I mean, you kind of wonder why USC's guys, you know, weren't able to post better numbers in, in the strength uh, uh, elements, the the bench press and, and things like that. Uh, you would expect those linemen to be able to pump up some numbers and you know be working on that as they go into the combine. But instead, you know, maybe those guys were more focused on their speed and agility and trying to prove that. Uh, but but strength strength plays a much bigger uh, effect than the weight, and I don't think we can look at the Alabama game and say, hey, you know, that's why they need to get stronger. Since Toa Lobendon was actually playing with a torn ACL, uh, that might make it more difficult to you know have a strong base. Um, but you know, a lot of the strength and conditioning is a directive from the the head coach. Uh, each strength and conditioning coach, you know, is a byproduct of what the head coach wants. So. You know, a guy like Ivan Lewis has been through a couple of different head coaches at USC. You know, maybe that starts to be a change that, that Clay Helton wants because he wants to have a power team. Maybe you start seeing guys the next year or two, maybe you see those, uh, those strength numbers, those bench presses, those squats start to, those maxes start to raise a little bit more. Uh, maybe that'll be the case rather than the guys being super agile and, uh, you know, it's just a, a product of what the head coach wants. If the head coach wants a spread team, he wants linemen that can move and, and get out and run the zone 
read that type of thing, then you're going to see, you know, smaller linemen that, that aren't going to bench as much, but can move a little bit better. So, uh, you're going to see the philosophy of Clay Helton start to appear a little bit more this year, the next year. You see some of the guys they're recruiting, you know, they want those big body guys. They want the guys in the trenches that, you know, they did a great job, uh, in this recruiting class of getting both the offense and defense line, especially because this year in the West is pretty, pretty, uh, weak for the, uh, this the 2018 class, you know, especially we saw at the opening Los Angeles this past weekend, you know, not a lot of targets, you know, on the offense and defense lines compared to with a linebacking group that's, you know, unbelievable out there. Uh, you know, whereas last year the, the defensive line and, and offensive line were the, were the areas they really targeted and not so much the linebackers. Shotgun's Prattling. Follow him on Twitter at SPR. It's a busy time of year for Mr. Shotgun. With, he's doing a lot of the basketball stuff. He's always got his hands in baseball, uh, and of course football. And you're out at the, uh, the, the Nike camp too over the weekend. Uh, so what's going on in the life of shotgun? Yeah, we can't all be in Cabo. So, you know, some of us have to go out and grind on a, on a Sunday afternoon and, uh, watch a lot of, a lot of very good, uh, football players. Yeah. That was, uh, it was a couple weekends ago. I, we did the, um, uh, I did like Adidas and Under Armour, like back to back. And it, I think I got like, 25 videos or something from both of them and i just finished to put them up like the last one before i left for cabo so it just takes a while um, yeah i'm still i'm still working through you know the great thing about these camps is you know the the guys that run the camps do a good job of giving you an opportunity to interview and talk with these kids so you know even though i had a just a couple of kids on my target list uh, of interviews that we really needed to get I ended up with about 11 interviews, so I'm still working through those. Uh, you know, saw a couple of them go up last night. You'll see a couple more each day. Cool. All right. Well, check it out. He does great work on uscfootball.com, kind of our jack of all trades, covering lots of different sports. Um, so shotgun spratling, shotgun at shotgun SPR on Twitter. Thanks, man, for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. That's shotgun spratling. Thanks to him. Thanks to coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at coach Harvey Hyde. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.